What's up, everyone? Welcome to the City Podcast brought to you by Stay In True To Yourself. Stay In True To Yourself exists to improve the lives of individuals and groups by facilitating the necessary discussion of how to value self and community. We believe that fostering the necessary discussion best prepares individuals and groups to significantly contribute their development, education, and endeavors. Today, we have the pleasure to hear from a very special individual, very passionate, ambitious, and talented individual. She resides in Namibia and goes to school in Switzerland. Please welcome Alicia Rafe. So Alicia, please introduce Hi. yourself and tell them about your biggest accomplishment. Hi, everybody. Thanks for having me, first of all. I'm really excited to be on the podcast and to talk to you guys. Um, so my biggest accomplishment, I don't think I have reached my biggest goal yet, I would say. Um, but up until now, probably would be uh, last year I became the president of our student council at the university. Um, for for the last year, so for my third year at university, which to me, I always think that people strive and continuously work to their goals. So my biggest accomplishment is different for each stage in you. Um, and you continuously work on yourself and try and reach those steps. And then as a whole, you look at them. And I think there's different accomplishments in terms of work and, and personal life. But up to now, I'd probably say that. So I study in Switzerland. I study hospitality management and design. Um, and last year I ran for president and I made it. And I tried my best with COVID and I hope I did well enough. <laughs> Well, thank you for sharing that, and congratulations on becoming the president of the student council. Keep it up, and uh, very proud of you. You got a lot, a lot more accomplishments to to get to. So keep up the good work and keep staying talented. Will do. Thanks. <laughs> so for today, we will be discussing and delving into the topics of the Tokyo Olympics and cultural identity. Um, and we hope all you listeners out there young or old, or you got your pets listening or your birds or anything, can take something away that will stimulate a conversation within your groups or within yourself. So let's get started, Alicia. Yes, so let's go. I wanna I wanna hear your uh, view on you know the Olympics and also this year's Tokyo Olympics. Um, <laughs> so let's start off with what is your must-watch Olympic sport? Um, so for me, the must-watch sports of the Olympics are the swimming heats. Um, but I think this is definitely affected by personal preference. Uh, I did swim as I was a child. I swam for around eight years. And I think that's why I kind of have a bias towards the swimming. Um, and if they could introduce hockey into the Olympics, that would definitely be top of my Oh, yeah, that would be amazing. Well. Um, but then, because I'm a hockey player as well, then I think I have a preference to the sports. And then, obviously, I think whenever I'm watching the Olympics, uh, the opening and the closing ceremonies are typically some of the most memorable parts. I love watching all the different countries uh, be represented and seeing their their outfits, what they're wearing to represent their country. Um, and it's, it's always cool to find out about countries you've never heard of before or to to see people from your own country that you can support. So in terms of sport, I'd de definitely say swimming and then essential must watch would probably be the opening and closing ceremonies. <laughs> cool. Did you watch uh, the Tokyo Olympics opening ceremony? Yeah, I tried. Um, I wasn't at home for, it's quite long. I think it's like over three hours long, but I watched the first half and I watched um, the last bit. So where they presented the Namibian uh, country, the countries closest to it. So yeah, tried my best. Right. How about you? Yeah, I really, uh, I watched it. I didn't get the chance to watch all of it, but I really enjoyed watching it. I got to see Team Kenya um, and also Team USA getting nice. introduced. Um, the funniest part actually to me was, uh, it wasn't actually, I don't think they showed it on the Olympics, but 
there is a basketball player on the Team USA, uh, Kevin Durant. They they all sang happy birthday. The Team USA sang happy birthday to him, and it's not even his birthday. That was to me that was pretty hilarious. <laughs> so that was wow. that was there's comedy. <laughs> nice. Yeah, um, and also I like how the the Tokyo Olympics this year, even though it was impacted by COVID, they had a, it was more of a sense of unity and togetherness. Um, and bringing a lot of cultures and identities together, especially to Tokyo and Japan. Um, and I yeah. feel like that's a, it's a very, it's a, I guess you could say it's a good step to in humanity where we have all these different cultures and different people going into one place, mm-hmm. uh, considering currently what's kind of going on in our world. So yeah. it's, a, it's a blessing to see that we can actually finally get back to society and start uniting together Definitely. and start uh, conversating um so when it comes to the olympics um i know you said you are looking forward to the swimming competition i think i'm looking forward to actually the track field and Mm -hmm. the um what's the other event the soccer i think there's soccer games looking forward to that and another sport that I actually really, really like watching during the Olympics is the fencing, just because it's, like, extremely okay. dramatic to me. I, I don't know why. Mm-hmm. It's, just, it's just so dramatic, you know, whenever they're just swinging their swords and stuff. To me, that's pretty funny. Uh, it's kind of entertaining. Um, but going back to the track and field, I wanted to ask you on what your thoughts are in terms of how the track and field uh, social issues have come along, like, in terms of the two Namibian athletes that I guess got taken out because high testosterone and then Shakari Richardson yeah. in the United States she got uh, terminated from participating in the Olympics because she smoked weed what are your thoughts on that um so I spoke about this in my last episode on my podcast and I it's something that I feel is very important that kind of needs to be touched on and I think as a whole um the solution to to not only track and field but to these social issues amongst all sport organizations is kind of to modernize um so in namibia we have two track and field athletes christine boma and uh, beatrice masalingi who compete not only in the 400 meters they also compete in other um shorter races and they competed in poland to qualify and um boma had the best time in the world so she was fastest and after they were tested for their testosterone levels which according to the regulating body needs to be around five nanomoles um for a female so the regulating body only acknowledges that there's two genders i think that's the first issue and then secondly that you can measure someone's gender based on testosterone so if they had their levels at 4.99 they would have been accepted without an issue and if it's five or 5.0 one it automatically becomes it and this issue has already been around for quite some time in um i think it was 2018 you had the south african athlete Castro semenya who also had high levels of um testosterone and these aren't it's not doping these are naturally levels naturally high levels so it's not as if these athletes are taking beneficial in the competition it's purely just and the recommendation by the regulating body is that they take hormonal pills or birth control to lower their testosterone levels, um, which I think is a bit, I don't think that's the best route to go because you're asking someone who has a natural ability to tone that down in order to make the games fair. When in different sports, um, athletes that have natural advantages aren't, um, penalized, I guess. So, for example, Michael Phelps, the swimmer, he um, has biological advan- like advantages in swimming. He's double jointed, his wingspan is huge, and um, his kick range is stronger than the average human. So, he's physically, naturally more able to perform better. Uh, there's also a skier who I spoke about on my podcast who has a genetic disease in which he produces more red blood cells, allowing him to have a longer endurance. And these athletes aren't penalized. Um, so I don't understand why we need to penalize some sports and not the others. And in the end, if you want fair games in sport, I don't think they can be fair because sport is an unfair game. There has to be a loser and there has to be a winner. 
Um, and if you can decide what parts of the natural ability you want to control, but which parts you don't want to control, you're kind of messing up with who's the best in the world. I'm not sure if that makes sense. Um, yeah. Or yeah. So that 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 was was really recent for us coming from Namibia. It's a small country um, that stood out to us and we wanted to let our girls run. And this testosterone rule isn't applicable to the shorter distances. So it's only applicable from 400 meters up. So already there, that's kind of um, something I was suspicious of. If they can run the 200, which I'm glad they can and they are allowed to, but why does this only apply for longer distances? Yeah, that's to me, it's actually... Uh very suspicious if, and maybe they are being discriminatory because if it's a natural way of somebody's body it's it's not illegal there's nothing that they did wrong yeah uh, compared and- to like let's say you know how shikari richardson she smoked weed i understand that you know she was going through a hard time but at the same time she is a human mm-hmm. being she makes mistakes and it's understandable why she decided to smoke some some weed because you know that's what yeah. she wanted to do but at the same time the the consequences she had to face i'm not against that because she knew that she had competition to come up so that's kind of more on her on her it's, mm-hmm. it's kind of more on her to kind of understand this is a situation that i have at hand and this is what i have to do to maintain my status and being an olympian but now for the mm-hmm. two namibians that's a whole different story this is not yeah. people who are injecting stuff into their body to make themselves more better or anything like that. They're just naturally gifted and they just have the natural ability to perform very great. And then you have people like Michael Phelps who are not banned. Just maybe maybe here it comes into the fact that it probably it can be maybe a race issue here or yeah. maybe it's, it's a money that. issue or something like that because that's mm-hmm. not acceptable in society to have people who are gifted naturally to be taken out of the Olympics just because you find higher levels of testosterone in their body when they have not done anything illegal. It's like punishing somebody who didn't commit the crime. Yeah, exactly. That is on having a bunch of athletes, male with varying ranges of testosterone compete Um, and they repeated these tests quite a few times and they came to the conclusion that even if there's varying levels of testosterone that doesn't guarantee you will be the first person or the fastest person in the race Um, and the same goes for women athletes so if we've proven that your level of testosterone doesn't guarantee you a straight win why are you limiting who can compete? I think also as the athletes that do in the end compete and win would maybe not feel as proud of their win because they can't for 100% sure say that they won and they're the fastest in the world because you know there is other athletes who weren't even allowed to compete who are faster than you. Yeah, I mean, clearly we can say that this year's Olympics, it's a little bit construed in terms of, or it's maybe a little bit biased because you don't have, fastest person running out there just because they got banned out because they're naturally gifted you know so yeah I guess it's kind of it's kind of a way to they're trying to weed out specific things and trying to um, mm-hmm. I would say it's a little bit discriminatory to uh, to the black people. I think uh, it's a little racist there I feel like it's a, there's a little race bias or some sort of implicit bias that came into play in terms of making yeah, that decision and I also think um even if you don't want to acknowledge that there is something wrong in terms of the race, racial issue, I think in general, the laws and the regulating um, authorities, uh, the sporting authorities need to reconsider what laws they have in place because they're purely outdated. Um, and for those who might not want to see color and see that issue, um, who are opposed to that, this isn't just a racial issue. I mean, recently I read about a volleyball team. I'm not entirely sure, but I think it was them who um, requested that they can play in shorts. So we're not even talking about long pants. We're talking about shorts instead of speedo style shorts because they felt that uh, the speedo style shorts were too exposing and they didn't feel comfortable playing in them. And they got fined by the sporting association 
And so if you don't want to see race, even though there is clearly an issue, it, you can't just ignore the fact that something has to change in sporting bodies in the Olympics because there are other examples where there is an issue, whether it's sexist issue in terms of women, kind of the, their bodies are on display instead of the value of the sport, uh, whether it be racial play or in terms of the two, the athletes, cap uh, for soul cap which was denied which is for afro textured hair um all yes, these kind of to me was absurd that was very absurd yeah. and completely ignorant so th- i think that by continuously avoiding that you need to review your own laws and change what needs to be changed in order to keep up with the society of today the sport and these associations will become outdated very quickly yeah Um, I want to hear, so in terms of, I feel like this year's, uh, on a positive note, um, I think it's a very good year in terms of uh, women in, in general. It's a, it's a year for them to kind of make a legacy for future generations to kind of see the value um, and the progress women have made so far in our society in terms of how their, their perspective people have. Um, what do you think about that? Um, I, th- I definitely think so. I think that we need to move towards a place where it's no longer um, no longer have to fight to get basic acknowledgement and within yes. the past year past years we've been there yet I think there's still a lot to do um, but I think we're definitely moving in the right direction definitely definitely I agree too that's that's uh, to me that's a very very positive thing and it brings joy to me that we have a progressive mm-hmm. way of now going along when it comes to gender roles yeah um, and I mean um, in the opening ceremony yesterday there were countries which have never brought women athletes um, and this was either yes. the first they were bringing women athletes or a few countries that have increased the number of female athletes um, at the game so that was it's a good note we're getting somewhere we're moving forward which is better than moving backwards <laughs> exactly um so now let's talk about tokyo itself um in terms of the tokyo in japan what do you think tokyo has to offer to the world as the host of the olympics um i think the japanese culture of respect is one that is really fascinating uh and definitely one that i think will impress the world and not only I think that, yes, I think a lot of Asian countries have a deeper level of respect ingrained in their culture, but Tokyo and Japan is definitely known for their friendliness and their hospitality. Um, and cleanliness. They're very clean. Exactly. And uh, that's something I want to speak on with, with the whole COVID situation as well. I think that the hygiene factor and all of that fits into Tokyo in a sense or into Japan. Um, but I think that Since this is the second time that Tokyo is going to be hosting the Olympics since they hosted them in 1964, there's going to be a lot of pressure on them to do better and improve on the last games. But I think that their natural ability hospitable um, and to for others' cultures in a sense that they are not trying to push the Japanese culture on anybody visiting, any of the teams visiting, or um, kind of force you to... to really have to adopt the Japanese culture. They're really open on respecting everybody else, else's cultures, but also introducing you into the um, the culture and history of Japan itself. And I think culturally and geographically, it's unfortunate from a tourism perspective, since not a lot of fans are allowed. Um, the athletes themselves can't really travel outside of the athlete bubble, but The benefits towards the city might not entirely outweigh the costs, but in terms of media coverage, online presence, I think since the Olympics only happen every four years, there is so much attention on Tokyo as a whole, and which has kind of been extended due to the pandemic since this was supposed to happen last year, that we've been focusing on the country quite a lot. And then hopefully after the restrictions are, are down and we aren't really in the pandemic anymore, um, that gives more people a chance to explore Tokyo and, and Japan as a whole. Yeah, I think the athletes are going to have a great time. They're going to have a they have a great host. 
And I think mm-hmm. my fa- if I was there and I was an athlete or just a spectator, my favorite part would probably be the food. I love yeah. Japanese cuisine. It, it's it's a must eat, and it's very healthy and nutritious. So I think mm-hmm. that to me, that's probably one of the biggest things that Tokyo has to offer is their culture in terms of their cuisine. It's very rich. It's very healthy, and then also, mm-hmm. like you said, their sense of respect and loyalty to culture. Um, I think yeah. that's gonna be it's gonna be contagious to a lot of the athletes out there, the people out there going. They're gonna have to kind of adhere to that, and hopefully they can, you know, transfer that to back to their homes and stuff. And we can all have a global unity of appreciating the Japanese culture, um, which I think is yeah. very important and very necessary. So I think those are some of the things that Tokyo has to offer. Um, and also, I do think that the uh, in terms of Tokyo being having the um, Olympics for the second time it just mm-hmm. shows how much progress the country makes because if you did it once that means the second time you have to outdo your first time and I think maybe just because you know we, we might have better technology now and we've advanced in terms of the things that we have they might mm-hmm. be hosting a better Olympics than they did in 62 and even though COVID is in the way, but I feel like the way they have reacted to COVID and acted upon it is probably the best we've seen in the world. Um, and I'm hoping that during these Olympics, um, the COVID situation doesn't really impact the sport itself and mm-hmm. doesn't do anything that's going to slow down the Olympics. So that's one thing I'm hoping that, that does not happen. But in general, I think their food is going to be a pleasure and a treat to everybody that's yeah. going out there, man. And their cars, too. Man, I love their cars. That's, I love Japanese yeah. cars. <laughs> I think that, in general, what they've managed to do, this is the first time in the history of all Olympic Games that they've had to be postponed. Um, so that's a huge, like, challenge that's thrown their way. But the fact that they've managed, they're pulling it off, they're trying to keep it as safe as possible, but still embracing the spirit of the games for the athletes, um, they're doing a good job. Yeah, to me, it's very, it's a, it's very, uh, it's very appealing, very attractive. Um, mm-hmm. So, in terms of some, uh, you know, there's been social issues facing the Olympics and a whole bunch of issues like the COVID situation. What are some challenges uh, facing? Tokyo leading up to the 2020 Olympics that you saw? Um, so I obviously already think that one of the biggest challenges, as we might all assume, is the pandemic. Um, not only logistically, but it's just one of the hardest things to deal with. But in terms of planning within the village, um, the food and beverage service, and the fact that they've managed to go ahead one year post the actual event date already shows that they have overcome like a large number of challenges in addition to this without COVID. So if you were to remove COVID from the situation, it's a huge uh, task for any country, any city to take on the Olympics to find space for all of these people because you have over 10,000 athletes and then you have all those teams that are bringing um, that are there as support. You have you have um, so many people in one space at the same time. That already is a huge challenge in itself. And I guess probably because I study hospitality, it's a kind of fascinating for me, and I geek out a bit because it's it's really interesting to kind of think of how everything is planned. Um, they've organized over 3000 COVID liaison officers who are appointed to each Olympic and Paralympic team and delegation, and they cover the admin requirements. So purely just that in itself is a large number of people. And even though you have more people to, to serve the athletes or to be there to help organize, all those organizing teams need to be um, you have the media, there's over 5000 media personnel, and you have the athletes, the officials, it's a massive number of people that kind of need to be accommodated, Uh, the organization of the village, all the different venues. So the challenges facing any city when they try and host the Olympics, and I think also the reason why we already know who's hosting the 2028 Olympics is because you need a lot of time to prepare for this. Um, 
and obviously besides that you have some of the social issues that have come up i've i'm not entirely clued up on this but i've read about a few scandals um in terms of the japanese organization and that committee itself and just that the team have and the city of japan have, uh, i mean of tokyo and the country of japan have been able to overcome these scandals and continue with their drive to finish is just amazing to me yeah it's actually pretty interesting to see that they uh during the open ceremony there was a there was people who were outside there protesting the olympics and that was interesting mm-hmm. to see that they had people protesting the olympics some people were protesting because of covid some people were protesting because of uh, women's rights some people were protesting because you know, they don't want people to come into their country uh, and it was pretty yeah. interesting just seeing that and i was like wow there's there's some good big, big challenges to face especially from your own kind of people um mm-hmm. but i also think um going back to the what we in terms of what tokyo olympics has to offer i do think that every time we have the olympics it offers the chance for the world to kind of unite for example in some villages and some communities and in some cities you know people hang out together to watch the olympics um and during yeah. covid people didn't really get the chance to kind of hang out with each other and after a little bit of the world opening up some people might have been comfortable with each other hoping you know that some of them might have got vaccinated some of them might just get a COVID, negative covid test uh, and it might just unite people a little bit more to kind of hang out together instead of just being isolated um, and quarantined by themselves. So I think that's kind of one thing that the Tokyo Olympics does actually bring out to the world now since um, we've been all in isolation for such a long time. We now have mm-hmm. that chance to kind of mingle, kind of interact, share sim- share experiences and make memories that will last for a long time just because of the Olympics. And that's one thing that I do think that um, Tokyo Olympics also is really trying to accomplish because even during their opening ceremony, I think their uh, their words was faster, stronger, um, together. I think they had another word that I forgot. And that just shows you that they're really pushing to that um, unity as a human race that no matter what's going on we should still all appreciate the fact that we have all these different people coming to compete so mm-hmm. um, in terms of what you're looking forward to for this year's olympics what are you what's like one thing that you're really looking forward to um i think in general that we're able to to hold the olympics in a sense um so this event only happens every four years it's already exclusive in general um and you can't necessarily just switch on your tv and watch an olympic game whenever you want so i think even though it seems as though all hope was lost and we'd have to wait another four years last year when we didn't know if the olympics were going to happen when they were being postponed and all of that um I think that we can watch the games and as you said it's kind of a, a community it's it's a connection you have it's something that pulls together everybody uh and i always look forward to seeing how our namibian athletes perform i think all of us look forward to our own hosting countries or uh the countries where we come from that you kind of look forward to those athletes and how they do so you you kind of have a little bit of Com- competitive friendliness in a sense that everybody's competing against each other but we're doing it together is a for a better purpose i would say um seeing the results from our track and field athletes i really want to see how they do um there's a swimmer his name is philip zeidler he qualified for the first time for it. this is his first olympics and he's doing the long uh long distance swimming so i want to see how he does and i think that especially if you come from smaller countries with smaller populations and if you're able to keep up with your larger competitors in a sense um that in itself is amazing and it's something i really look forward to that the olympics is a space that allows for all of these countries of diverse uh groups that either have huge population or huge resources and some really tiny countries but they've made it to the same stage and they can compete against each other we have around 11 athletes um i know germany has around 300 maybe more so it's cool how you, how even if you have a small set of athletes that you're sending to the olympics you're all competing in a diverse set of competition from rowing cycling athletics boxing um and everybody has different resources but they've enough to be on the same level in this one game 
yeah, I think that's uh, one thing I'm also looking forward to. Um, and also, I think that even though COVID has impacted the Olympics in a way, I still think there is a positive uh, outlook that we can get from this in terms of the things to look forward to. Like you said, mm-hmm. there was a lot of planning that had to take place into this, and especially being delayed for one year, that gives them the opportunity to plan a little bit even more. So I feel like the yeah. Olympics this year are extremely well-planned, organized, and I think the athletes are really going to have a good time, and the spectators will definitely get a glimpse of what a great showcase for the Olympic sport is. Um, yeah. And, you know, in terms of, like, Tokyo itself, I think maybe the biggest challenge it might be facing might just be maybe the people who are protesting to uh, the Olympics. But I think overall, that's not a really big problem because that's something that they can overcome. Because in every place that you go, there's always going to be the naysayers. So mm-hmm. it's not a, I don't think that's a really big uh, worry for them. But I think the biggest worry is probably just going to be the COVID situation. Um, as yeah. we all know, um, Japan is very good at responding to COVID, but since now they have an influx of people into their country, kind of got to get the chance to see um, how it goes in terms of any COVID cases that arise and stuff like that, which I think is going to be very minimal. Um, mm-hmm. So in terms of your all-time favorite Olympic moment, what is it? Um, so my favorite Olympic moment would need to be in the 2012 Olympics in London. Um, and I guess something to do with being from Namibia, our neighbors are South Africa, but because we're such a small country, sometimes you don't have an athlete that you can support in a specific event. So you support your next closest country, which for us would be South Africa. And um, where Chad Leclerc beat Michael Phelps in the men's 200 butterfly, that would probably be one of my favorite moments or the all-time favorite Olympic moment because he was the only African swimmer for the whole race. So even if I wanted to go to the next country and then move to the next one, I only had one option to support in terms of coming from Africa and the continent and everything. So it was really great to see that at least our continent was being represented um all the other swimmers came either from asia or other western countries and nobody had hope in terms of someone coming from i would say a third world country and the first world country obviously the resources these athletes have and the access they have to these resources varies among how strong and how big and how um how much money I guess your teams have or where you're from obviously has an impact and to see someone come from a relatively small country with not as many resources beat someone from a a really strong country is just amazing to see it kind of gives so um just as a viewer what about you um yeah actually I remember that moment um like uh, Vivian Swimmer who beat Michael Phelps I remember that I was actually watching that and I was so excited to see that um, actually I was actually like excited to see somebody beat Michael Phelps um, <laughs> yeah <laughs> and I, but for me I think it's not like one specific moment but it's a bunch of moments just because I think the best country in the world to run track is Kenya we have gold medals all over the place so mm-hmm. every time a Kenyan has won the gold medal, I have been upstanding by it. Um, and I think maybe my favorite one was when um, it was, I think it was 2012 or 2008. Um, it was actually 2012 and 2016 when David Rudisha, he is a Kenyan middle, middle distance runner. He runs the 800. He became an Olympic champion on there. And then he also is a two-time world champion. And he's also the world record holder in the 800 meters. So nice. to, to me, that's probably the great one of the greatest moments I've seen in Olympics. Because uh, he really ran that race like it was his race. And he just mm-hmm. ran that 800. The reason I can say that is because I know how hard it is to run an 800 meter race. Um, <laughs> and it's really difficult because it's, it's two full sprints. So mm-hmm. I was, that was, to me, that's one of um, 
greatest moments. And then also when Usain Bolt um, was, I think that was the 2008 Olympics, when he be, when he uh, established the world record on the yeah. 100 and 200. Man, I was <laughs> that to me that was impressive. Like, how do you run that fast? Um, and his yeah. like, it's like his his start off is not that great, but he, once he picks up, he's just gone. It's like wow. Yeah, I think a huge part of the Olympics is just the amazement that these people have the skills. So whether it's running, swimming, uh, equestrian, or boxing, or any of the events, it's just that these people have, you know, they've put in so much work and commitment. And this is the moment it's coming to fruition. And just to be able to witness that is really cool. Yeah. Um, So since we talked about the Tokyo Olympics, you know, and the rich culture of Japan um, and what it has to offer to the world. Now we're going to kind of delve into cultural identity. Um, Mm -hmm. For the listeners out there, um, the goal is for them to kind of identify social and cultural factors that help shape uh, their own identities. So we're going to delve into talking about a little bit about you, yourself, and how you've kind of molded yourself to who you are. Um, Mm -hmm. So the first question I have is, what factors shape your identity? I have fully kind of come to my identity yet because I think it's a lifelong process. Um, you can always work on yourself. But the reason I actually started my podcast was in a way to kind of figure out where I fit in and who I identify as, um, especially being mixed race. You're kind of cultures you need to figure it out so I think factors shape your identity definitely um your childhood how you grow up and and your surrounding your environment where you grow up um but then I also think it's some things that you can't control so how the values your parents teach you or values you learn in school for example um all of these kind of impact your identity and then as you leave I think for school you're you have what over 10 years where you are kind of guided in who you are and then you have someone to look up to and then you finish school and you'd either decide to go to university or to work or to do whatever you want but that's the first time where it's really you yourself and it's not you seen as a child so I think family has a huge impact uh, where the environment you grow up in and then also what you consume. And I think especially in, with so much social media, it's really important to what we're, what we're looking at every day because we spend so much time and how this can actually affect who we are as a person. Okay. Um, yeah, that's, that's really that's true because family is a big part of um, shaping one's identity and it just it doesn't have to necessarily be just blood family it can be anybody that you know you associate yourself with and interact with every day yeah, definitely. Um, that can shape your identity and I also think experiences um, are a big part in terms of how somebody the outlook that somebody has about themselves um, that mm-hmm. really does play a big factor into that um, so now in terms of your identity what parts of your identity do you choose for yourself you know, considering your background, you know, you have a German background, you live in Namibia, um, you might not look the same like everybody else around you, but in terms of the parts of your identity, uh, which ones do you choose for yourself? Um, I think for myself personally, it would be, I'm a very proud Namibian. <laughs> and a lot of people, when I, when I moved abroad, um, there was kind of huge shock. So I, I have a light skin privilege. I don't come across as someone who's mixed race for someone who has no idea who I am. And when I moved to university, a lot of people were shocked that I'm from Namibia and were kind of like, oh, well, you moved there, right? And instead of assuming that this is where I was born, I spent my whole life here, well, um, my whole childhood and everything. So for myself, I choose to identify as a Namibian, a proud Namibian, but also as someone of mixed race. I don't want to um, choose one side over the other. I acknowledge both sides. I've spoken to a few guests who have friends or who themselves only want to accept or acknowledge one side, which is fine. It's part of who who you are and who you want to identify as. Um, But 
might ask someone, those would be two things that probably I would want someone to know when they meet me. Um, and other than that, I'm someone that's very driven. I work hard. I try my best to do what I can. And I think that comes from uh, the experiences my parents have had. In one of my upcoming episodes, I speak to my dad and I introduce my podcast to him and his experience. And he has this really crazy life story. And he went through some honestly horrendous things which kind of shaped him. And I'm just shocked that someone, a human being can survive that, but that's shaped who he is. And oftentimes I'll tell myself, okay, if my dad can deal with that, I can deal with this because what I'm going through is nothing compared to what he had to go through. So that's, also, my parents are a huge part of my def- uh, identity as well. Awesome. Yeah, I would say the same thing too. Uh, and experiences <laughs> are a big, big part too of uh, how I shape my identity. Um, so in terms of your, uh, what parts of your identity are determined for you by other people or by society? Um, so I think when you're a child, a lot of who you are is defined by uh, where, so where you go to school, your schooling environment, what your parents do, um, what you look like. I think a huge part of how other people identify you is based on visual appearance, which I think is it's an integral part, yes, but I don't think it's something that you need to base someone's identity on because it's so misleading in a sense. You have no idea where someone's been or what they've gone through based on how they look. Um, And you also have no control over what other people think of you. So in a sense, you have your identity and you can, you want to bring this across to others, but how other people is always determined by them. And those that are good for you and that, our true friends or those that have well intentions will listen to what you what you say and how you act and take that into consideration and those that just don't care um will make up their own mind and that's fine because you don't need to consider their their opinions on you yeah it's very true i agree um i think that when it comes to parts of identity i think most of it should be determined by how you feel and what you see is right for you Mm-hmm. not by what society thinks is right for you but there is influence that comes to society and people like you know family friends might influence how somebody thinks and that just becomes yeah. part of their thought process every day but i think the final justification for it is that you should always choose which you feel is more best for you the the right um, identity or the right category that makes you feel happy and the, at your best um yeah. so in terms of your identity like you said, uh, you spoke to with your father. You had him on a podcast. Um, what parts of your identity do you choose for yourself now? And what parts of your identity do you feel are determined by others because of maybe interaction you had or an experience you had? Um, so I think up until a certain age, you might not have conscious control over your identity so as a child you know who you are but there's not much you can do or it's not something you really think of but I think all of us get to a point where we kind of need to sit down with ourselves and just kind of as you said I mean stay true to yourself look inwards and kind of figure out who you are and who you want to be um so recently I read the defining day it's a great book it's basically focused on 20 somethings all around the world I would recommend it to everybody to read and it talks about how this time in our lives is one of the only times where you well f- uh, physically you're in terms of your brain you can change your personality and who you are um, and I think a lot of times after you've left university or after you finish school there's this moment where all of us are kind of like oh what is happening in in the world who am I because you no longer have the protection of home in a sense and you need to figure out who you want to be by yourself so um, I would suggest everybody takes time to kind of look inwards and decide what parts of their identity they want to choose which ones they want to work on to better or which ones they don't want to acknowledge 
um, because maybe had some experiences which have created a bad not a bad sense of identity but have somehow tainted your identity and you decide that you actively want to work on those or that you don't want that to be part of your identity going forward so i think from a certain age your identity becomes your responsibility and you use the experiences that you have that you will have um and that you've gone through to continuously shape who you Um, and so just to delve in a little bit more in terms of you, whose opinions and beliefs have the greatest effect on how you think about your own identity? Um, so I'm a work in progress. I try and really stick to myself, but obviously what other people think has an effect on, on everybody um, or well, especially on me and how my really close friends see me is important to me and how my parents see me um but there's also some strange things so i think that my younger cousins and in my family i really want to be someone they can look up to and not someone that has achieved a lot or has done something great but just someone in terms of basic values and as a human who they can look up to and kind of be like okay well that's a good example of someone that i can look to to help figure out who i want to be for myself if, if that makes sense yeah totally makes sense also same here i feel like you know uh, my family's opinions and beliefs my friends uh, maybe sometimes society's opinions on me maybe just have an effect on me um yeah i've never i never really let it get to my to how i shape my identity just because I, I believe that my identity is all on me like i'm the one responsible to now figure out what is right and what is wrong for me so mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So last question when it comes to cultural identity, and then we're going to delve into um, the stay and true to yourself kind of questions. Mm-hmm. Um, so what aspects of your identity do you keep private in order to be accepted? And what aspects of your identity are you willing to change to fit in? Um, so I think it's a huge question. So in terms of the podcast, that was sort of an aspect of my identity that... I not necessarily kept hidden, but it's not something I openly spoke on or I would touch on if provoked in a sense. Um, but when I came to realize that it's really an important part of who I am and my identity, I kind of thought to myself, but why am I hiding it if it's so important to me? And it's an integral part of who I want to be and who I want my friends to accept as me uh, and my family and those around me uh, I decided I'm no longer going to keep it private I think we all have some things we keep private and some things that we're more than willing to share with with the world but you also need to reevaluate those things regularly um, and what aspects of my identity I'm willing to change to fit in I think we all try and change to fit in naturally. It's what we're trying to do because we're social animals. We're trying to be part of the group. And I don't think that's wrong in a sense that you can fit in, but you shouldn't really change who you truly are to fit in. Um, If it's just like a really non-essential thing that you're doing just purely because and you want to fit into the group, great. But if it's really something that's important to you and truly to who you think you are, I wouldn't recommend anybody changes it to fit in because there is a group out there that will accept you as you are in that moment. Awesome. Well I appreciate you for sharing that. Um I believe it takes a lot of it takes a lot of courage for somebody to uh speak about their identity. So now let's kind of delve into the last couple of questions that I usually ask uh, on the city podcast. Um, mm-hmm. So the first one is going to introduce yourself. You talked about your biggest accomplishment. Um, so why do you feel you are different from anybody else? Um, I think we're all unique. So I know there is no one that is like me. And I also think there's a reason we're all here. Um, And just if you look at everybody, everybody's unique. I don't think there's anybody who's the same. So I think it's about celebrating our differences. For me personally, I wouldn't know exactly what to say if someone asked me why why I think I'm different. But um, 
I guess what's different about me is the combination of, of the cultures that I have, uh, my experiences growing up and how they've shaped me. Um, and then just the type of personality that comes of, with anybody who's born. <laughs> okay, yeah, that's, that's totally cool. Um, you know, I feel like it, we, every person has something that sets them apart and something that makes them really yeah. unique. So that's why I usually ask that question. It's just, you know, for you to kind of think about that and kind of see, um, you know, what, what does set you apart? Um, so if you had three words to describe yourself, what would those words be? Um, determined. Mm-hmm. Loving and lost one would probably be um, open. So I I really enjoy putting my effort. I live very high highs and very low lows. So when I commit to something, I'm going to commit to it and I'm going to do everything I can to get either that goal or to help someone or to do whatever I can. I'm very loving. I try and help out where I can. and try and help even those that are in an unfortunate situation as best I can. I might not always be able to help as much as I would like to, but I try my best. And I'm open to to new cultures, to new people, to meeting new people, to discovering new things um, and an open mindset in general, because I think that's the best way to, to learn about the world is if you're open to listening to other perspectives. So you said determined, loving, and open. Wow. Yeah. Such a great combination. Um, Thanks. So now as we conclude um, our conversation today, I would like Mm -hmm. to say thank you for taking time out of your day um, to speak to the listeners out there. For all you listeners out there, always remember, pursue your dream and seize the day. and you can also find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts from. Also, check out Alicia's podcast, Mixed Moments Podcast. has great topics on there for you to check it out. And as you know, see your dream, seize the day. Thank you all, and see y'all next time. Thank you, guys. Bye.